Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello, everyone, and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North, the Andrew Lawton Show. I don't know if it's the same for you. I I got this little uh, monitor. So a lot of people sometimes comment on the show about why I'm always looking over uh, this way. And it's because normally the monitor that is connected to the computer that all the stuff is plugged into is over there. So if I, you know, I'm like calling for a clip and then I look over awkwardly, it's because I'm trying to figure out if the clip is playing. So I got a new little toy, which is a monitor right in front of me. So it looks like I'm staring at the camera, but I'm actually staring at myself right now on a screen. And my cheeks look really, really red. And I'm trying to figure out, because this is the first day I'm using it, if uh, my cheeks are just really, really red today, or if I am just like on this monitor, uh, the, the red setting is just like completely flared up. So if I, I do look red, no, I haven't gotten a sunburn. I actually have no idea why. Maybe it was too much of that wine from yesterday's taping. Because yesterday we were just like thumbing our nose at the World Health Organization and having a glass of wine during the show. I had a, a tweet from someone, I think it was last night, it might have been this morning or last night, I can't remember, saying, are you going to drink during every show now? And no, I, I wasn't intending on starting like a new foray into live real-time alcoholism. And my, I mean, maybe I should, if, if you guys all have to drink to suffer through me doing the show, maybe it's only fair that I, I join you in a beverage. But no, that was a uh, one-time gag, as we say. But it is good to talk to you. It is Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. We are going to be talking in this program with Brian Lee Crowley about uh, Canada's increasingly strained, but not really relationship with China. Canada has finally expelled the uh, so-called diplomat at the heart of the allegations of, of China trying to intimidate Michael Chong's family. This is the Conservative Member of Parliament and, and longtime foreign affairs critic. Also going to be talking this show about the uh, new redesign of Canadian passports. And this is, I think, just a, a great quintessentially Canadian story. You have all for the last year people lining up and at the beginning of the year, either not able to travel, uh, you know, at uh, the beginning of 2022 uh, because of vaccine mandates. And then finally, travel mandates are lifted. And the big issue is that no one can actually get a passport to go anywhere anyway. And the government's grand solution to this is to put this like terrible artwork on each passport page to redesign the whole thing. Uh, talk about putting lipstick on a pig. Uh, but I also want to talk about independent media. And I, I hope you'll forgive if this sounds like a bit of an indulgence segment because obviously True North is very much affected by these overarching trends in the media world. But there was a bit of a Twitter bombshell yesterday in former Fox News Channel personality Tucker Carlson, who has been for as long as he was on air at Fox, the absolute undominated king of cable news ratings pretty much every single day. And uh, Tucker Carlson made an announcement that he is moving his show to Twitter. Take a look at a bit of that video. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies, but most of the time that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is in fact true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have, but that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. 
If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. But if I don't mention the fact that the same man has been arrested for the same crime six times before, am I really informing you? No, I'm not. I'm misleading you. That was part of a, a nearly three minute long video, which right now, had. let me actually check now. I, I checked an hour ago, but I suspect it will have changed by now. A video that has, yeah, it has changed. Nearly 23 million views on Twitter. Nearly 23 million views. Now, this is a just an insane number of videos, uh, video views, which might not even be all that surprising to a lot of people. If you know that there is a tremendous level of interest in Tucker Carlson, uh, you looked at, I, I actually should have pulled this up, but if you were to look at cable news ratings yesterday, you'd see that uh, the top rated program on whatever station probably had, oh, I don't know, two, three million views on cable news. Nowhere near what Tucker got, even in the first couple of hours of that tweet being up. And I mean, I, I have never, I, have I met Tucker? I don't know. I've corresponded with him in the past, years ago. I, I don't know Tucker well. I, I know Mark Stein, who's been on the show, know, knows Tucker Carlson very well. And he is as a genuine and funny a person off air as he is on air by all accounts. And he's passionate about what he does. And all of these little leaked videos that are being posted of him talking to his staff and guests off camera by like Media Matters, which is this left-wing hatchet mill in the U.S., they all make Tucker look better than, you know, because like, they all sort of just humanize him and show him to have a sense of humor. So these big, like, hot mic bombshells are actually just like Tucker making a joke that 95% of people in North America would find funny, which is why his show is as popular as it is. But all of that is to say that it's not just about one person. Tucker Carlson is making a point in that video that the mainstream media cannot be trusted, to which you might say big whoop. We already knew that. But it shows that even among some places that you might think of as being on side for you, places like perhaps Fox News, there are forces that are working against your perspective or at the very least framing everything in a way that perhaps you don't know it's being framed. And, and the reason I, I think that's so important is because Tucker is actually holding up a mirror to himself here. When he's saying, don't take my word for it, he's not just saying, don't worry about what Brian Stelter and Don Lemon say. He's actually saying, don't trust him without doing your due diligence. And I, I say the same to me. I mean, I don't want this to be the only source of media you consume. Maybe I want it to be the one you consume the most frequently. But the great thing about independent media and the reason why people like the Western Standard, I mean, Western Standard's not a person, but the people at the Western Standard, the people at Rebel News, uh, before they became just an American clickbait mill, the people at the Post Millennial, uh, when all of these outlets have generally gotten along in Canada, it's because we aren't really competitors as much as colleagues. I, my view is that a lot of the people that watch this show will watch Ezra's show, will watch uh, Derek Fildebrandt's live streams, will uh, read, you know, whatever at, at these different platforms. And I encourage that. I want people to cultivate a wide array of perspectives. I there, There's a reason, I mean, we do Fake News Friday, but it's actually a very healthy thing for us to do because to do Fake News Friday, I have to watch CBC and it's probably why I deserve a bit of a raise. So if you're watching uh, True North Management, I, the CBC is like warranting danger pay on my part. I mean, like, yeah, send me to Afghanistan or send me to Albania, send me to Kurdistan, whatever. But uh, if you're going to make me watch CBC, I need to get some more money out of this deal. 
But the thing about it is that you need to do that to know what people are saying, whether you want to call it the other side or just whether you want to understand why people in the country, why people in the world view things differently than you do. And, and you know, one of the things that, that always sort of grinds my gears, to use that term, is when people will say, oh, Andrew, I love your show. You're so unbiased. And oftentimes I say, no, I am not. I'm not unbiased. I am transparent about my bias. I'm transparent about what I think, about why I think it. And, and just because I may agree with you or my perspective may align with yours doesn't mean that I don't have a bias. I, I think why independent media is so powerful is because we are open about our bias. We show our work. And that is so key. So key to show our work. I'll say, yes, this is my conclusion. This is why I think Justin Trudeau is X. But here's why. And if you don't agree with that, you can draw your own conclusion. And this is what I was talking about yesterday with Naomi Wolf. You may not agree with her on, on vaccines, but she laid out what she believes are the premises. She laid out her conclusion. You can say, you know what? I actually think those premises lead to another conclusion, or I actually don't agree with your premise. But you can only do that if you have media willing to have honest, fair discussions that entertain a multitude of perspectives. And that is so much, the, I mean, that is only, only something that's happening in independent media. And you have some of these like pearl-clutching mainstream media types that are going off that are just like terrified of Tucker Carlson right now. They, they don't like Twitter. They don't like Tucker because they don't actually like that people have a way to access information that doesn't require their filter. I actually studied once, and I, I'm going to try to avoid getting very boring here, but I, I studied once in, in a university political psychology, and it was a very interesting class. And it, one of the weeks we did in the class focused on something called media effects. And uh, at the time, I, I was very interested in it, and media effects were, I, I've forgotten what all the media effects were, but I remember uh, right now one of the media effects was, was framing. And it was simply the way that the framing of an issue has such a, an outsized influence on the way that something is received. And, and not just, you know, what someone thinks about a story, but literally what part of your brain it fires up. You, you can be primed to do it. I mean, one of the, the big studies that I remember reading about this was just about racial cues, you know, little coded language that makes people associate certain things with certain racial groups. And if you don't think that this is happening in so many different ways, in so many different contexts on mainstream media platforms, and perhaps even some independent media platforms, you are missing that you are, as Tucker says, being lied to. And when Tucker Carlson is standing up and saying he's bringing his show to uh, Twitter, what a lot of people might not realize is how much he's prepared to give up. Now, I, I don't know the ins and outs of Tucker's contract, but I've seen some reports that he is going to have to forgo a $25 million non-compete with Fox in order to launch this show now while he's still very much relevant. And 20, I mean, look, you can say he's wealthy, which he very much is, but to give up $25 million, if that is actually true, is only something you do if you are passionate about it, you're principled, and if you believe that what you're banking on is actually the future of media. And again, I'm not here to announce that we'll be following suit and making Twitter the exclusive distribution platform for our show. 
I do think it's interesting that uh, Twitter is really morphing into an all-in-one content platform in a way that Facebook tried to a few years ago. And, you know, I, I've been sort of a little frustrated by some of this because I use Substack for my own personal newsletter. If you want to check that out, you can go to andrewlawton.substack.com. But shameless plug there. But the thing about it is that Twitter and Substack have been in this, you know, tug of war for the last couple of weeks, where now if you tweet a link to a Substack post, it doesn't actually show show up on Twitter. And if you use Twitter on Substack, the link, the tweet doesn't show like they're just, they're kind of basically just have this little fight with each other. Uh, But the reason is that Twitter is expanding into areas that were previously outside of its lane. One of them is long-form tweets. Another is full-length video. You've got Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire that is uh, putting forward this uh, show on on Twitter for for people to watch. And uh, there's an audience there. I mean, when I look at Convoy coverage, Convoy coverage was driven by Twitter. Uh, Coverage of Davos, I think, was largely driven by Twitter. So the question that I sort of titled this show with, if you're watching or or listening to the podcast, I mean, if you're not, then I guess you don't hear this anyway. But if you pay attention to that stuff, is, is, is Twitter the future of media? And my answer is yes with an asterisk. So not exclusively. I mean, media will continue to fire on multiple platforms, But Twitter is so key, and if Elon Musk keeps it up and and continues on the path that he's on, Twitter is going to be a formidable force, not just in dominating against other tech companies, but I would actually say in completely dismantling the traditional media stranglehold on information that that even though it's been damaged and uh, abated in some way, has not yet been obliterated. And if these perspectives uh, that they are putting forward, if they want them to be relevant, they have to make them relevant. They can't just rely in an ideal universe on government subsidies. They can't just rely on putting out this stuff and hoping that everyone else will be silenced and everyone else will be shut down. And just, I mean, on the the, the muskification of Twitter, for lack of a better term, uh, you may remember a few weeks ago, I think it was, Elon Musk had the government-funded media label put up on CBC's Twitter platform. And then uh, CBC, of course, comes out and says, no, 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 we're only, you know, 51% government-funded or whatever it was. And then he, he you know, changes the line to, uh, you know, the exact percentage. I think it was like 48% government. I can't remember the exact numbers but uh you know he changed it to uh do that and that didn't help that uh uh, did not reduce uh, cbc's inclination to say we are no longer going to use twitter so this was fantastic cbc makes this big stink about we're going to be uh stopping our twitter activity effective immediately we're going to be reevaluating things and oh oh boy don't you believe that cbc is back they published a tweet saying that they were going to start using Twitter a little bit less than they were before. So they're they're kind of just, you know, tiptoeing around it. We're going to tweet a little bit. Maybe they're only going to tweet during certain hours. Maybe they're going to cap themselves to a number of tweets. Uh, Elon Musk, of course, seizes this and shares a meme taken from Brokeback Mountain of uh, CBC saying, I wish I knew how to quit you. That is the uh, uh, Elon Musk uh, troll trolley response to CBC there. Uh, now, now, maybe they'll get all upset about that and decide to rage quit Twitter again. But I think it seems like CBC actually realized that there is an audience on Twitter that it cannot afford to forego. And, and certainly in Tucker Carlson's case, he's uh, risking a lot of money 
and a lot of other potential offers. I mean, remember, this is a guy that could have been courted by the Daily Wire. He could have done his own thing. He could have been courted by the Blaze. He could have just uh, gone to YouTube. Rumble was interested in him, but he's decided that he wants to go with Twitter. And that, I mean, in and of itself has the potential to revolutionize the landscape in the same way that Rush Limbaugh being on AM radio revolutionized talk radio in America. So enough about media navel gazing. I'm starting to sound like all those CBC people that just talk about themselves all day. I'm trying to be a little bit more in the abstract about it than just about yours truly. But we will move on to the big picture issue of our time, Canada's relationship with China. And uh, this has finally reached a point where it looks like the government is maybe trying to be a little bit more serious about this. I mean, that's a, a bit of an if. Uh, China has expelled a Canadian diplomat after Canada expelled a Chinese diplomat. But the diplomat that Canada expelled was uh, one that was implicated in a plot to intimidate uh, Michael Chong's family overseas. That's a Conservative Member of Parliament, Michael Chong. And the Liberals still need to answer for a few aspects of this, such as, uh, you know, exactly how much they knew, why Michael Chong wasn't informed of it until this week, why the intelligence reports that said this was known a year ago never managed to make their way to the person who was the subject of them, and why Justin Trudeau claims that he had no idea, but everyone around him seemed to. It's a bit of a weird dynamic there, in which I think, you know, Canada has more to answer for than China. Uh, but then we have some other dimensions of this that we have to talk about. I want to welcome into the show Brian Lee Crowley, who is the managing director of the McDonald Laurier Institute. Brian, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. On the show, Andrew, I really appreciate the invitation. Well, let's let's start first off with the idea of, I mean, Canada and China, which is, I, I know, a big question, and. The idea that, you know, this stuff was known, it was in the intelligence community, the national security advisor knew about it, and then only this week do we get this expulsion of a Chinese diplomat uh, that was, again, not just, you know, representing China, but but doing so in a way that was very much working against Canada. Well, uh, look, you're absolutely right that, uh, you know, a, a lot of people in the media seem to be giving the impression that, uh, this is something that's been known for maybe a week. Uh, but on the contrary, this was in reports from CSIS, reports that reached the political level, that reached the, the national security advisor to the prime minister, that said that there were Chinese diplomats in Canada working to intimidate an elected member of Canada's parliament. Uh, and it's only now, uh, two years later, that we're taking action. And of course, the, you know, the prime minister, having kicked uh, a diplomat out, I, in my view, not because he thought that it was important to kick the diplomat out, but because he thought it was important to uh, respond to public opinion. Once it became known, he said, well, I, bet, I guess I better take some action. But the, the, the fact is that the peop at, at least the people around him, if not the prime minister himself, uh, knew all about this two years ago. And the fact that it's taken them this long to react, to say to China, you know, you can't actually ask us to accredit dip diplomats to represent you in our country and then have them break our laws, try and intimidate our elected representatives. Uh, 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 and we're not going to allow that. Your, your diplomats who do this are going to be sent home. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of speechless that uh, the prime minister uh, has taken so long 
and uh, uh, before he made the decision, made it very clear that he was hesitating quite a lot uh, because he worried about what the Chinese might do in response, which I, I, I think is pathetic behavior by the prime minister. Yeah. yeah, no. And, and Melanie Jolie, the foreign minister, had made some comment, and I, I don't have the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, you know, we we want to talk through China what our options are. I'm like, why, why are you talking this through with China for you? I mean, for, for starters, I think there's only one option. But secondly, it shouldn't be part of a consultation at that point. I mean, it was still from when this news became public, even if we give the government the benefit of the doubt that they didn't know before that, which I, I don't. But even from when the news went public, we're talking about a significant period of time before this guy was on a plane back home. Well, and, and there, there is no better way to telegraph to the Chinese that the government of Canada is frightened of them and mm -hmm. is frightened uh, to take actions that would protect the interests of Canadians because they're afraid of what the Chinese will do in response. And frankly, you know, this is exactly the reason why so many of us said uh, with respect to the two Michaels uh, when, when China uh, basically kidnapped two Canadian citizens to punish us for the arrest of Meng Wenzhou, uh, the, uh, the CFO of Huawei, the mm -hmm. Chinese tele telecoms company. Uh, you know, we, we, we were saying to the government of Canada over and over again, don't let this affect the way that you behave towards China. You cannot say to China, well, as long as you're holding two of our citizens, we won't do anything that upsets you. This is exactly why you know, uh, countries say, for example, they won't negotiate with terrorists because as soon as you say, oh, you're going to hurt my people, well, then I will do whatever you tell me to do. Uh, you create incentives for bad actors to do bad things because they know that you will let them get away with it. And so, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the whole behavior of Canada, not just towards this uh, diplomat who was intimidating uh, Michael Chong through his family, but the behavior with respect to the two Michaels and many other ways, we have sent the message to China, you can walk all over us and we will do everything we can to avoid responding. I, I want to put a picture up. This was a, a picture tweeted by the royal family on May 5th, shortly before uh, King Charles's coronation. And it says the uh, king meets with Commonwealth leaders at Marlborough House. His Majesty is head of the Commonwealth, a voluntary association of 56 independent and equal countries. And if you uh, look, I'm not going to get you to zoom in, but if you look through the picture, you see His Majesty the King, you see the uh, Prime Minister of Australia, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, leaders from the Caribbean and Africa and in uh, the Commonwealth realms in Asia. Uh, nowhere in that picture is any Canadian delegate, uh, and that includes Justin Trudeau, who was at the time uh, on his way or uh, speaking at the Liberal Convention. But then you juxtapose it with this. This is a, a picture from a panel discussion uh, with Harjit uh, Sajjan, formerly the Defence Minister in Canada from the Liberal Convention uh, that says, everywhere we go, meeting our partners, helping those in need and protecting the vulnerable, there's always one message, we need more Canada. And the, the message there is that uh, the world needs more Canada. So I, I like the juxtaposition of the world needs more Canada and Justin Trudeau skipping the, the Commonwealth meeting. But there, there's a, a serious point in that, I think, Brian, which is that the, the Liberals generally talk about this very lofty and aspirational place for Canada in the world. But when you get down to brass tacks and you talk about the situations that matter, where, where a, a, a decisive uh, position is expected of Canada, like on China, they're nowhere to be found. Well, 
Andrew, I, I think this is absolutely right. You know, uh, the government of Canada always prides itself on being, a, you know, a calm, reasoned voice of, uh, of diplomacy and so on. But people forget that diplomacy isn't an end in itself. Talking is not an end in itself. A, a country must effectively defend its real interests. And, uh, uh, you know, simply saying, well, you know, we, we're friends to everybody. Everybody likes Canada. So, uh, you know, as, as long as we're here, everyone will behave themselves. It's, it's, it's complete rubbish. The Chinese laugh up their sleeve at this kind of rhetoric because they are completely unapologetic about defending their interests. I mean, that's, that's what we're discussing here. They say to their diplomats, uh, oh, you're in Canada, make sure that you punish Canadian politicians who do anything contrary to Canada's uh, to, to China's interests. Now, I'm not saying that we should behave that way in China. What I'm saying is uh, 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 China makes no bones about the fact that the purpose of their diplomacy is to defend the interests of China completely unapologetically. And Canada's response is, oh, well, we don't want to offend you. So even though you've done things that break our law, that break the Geneva Convention, that are completely inappropriate for your diplomats, um, let's have a conversation about how we might, uh, you know, resolve this problem. I, I, I think that this simply encourages the Chinese to think that Canada will not do anything to protect its own interests, and therefore China can walk all over us. Yeah, and I, I think it was noteworthy when, whenever the AUKUS alliance came to fruition between the UK, the US, and Australia, that uh, this wasn't really a new partnership. It was the five eyes minus New Zealand and Canada. And I, I think New Zealand is well known, especially among Indo-Pacific countries, to be very pro-China relative to other uh, Western nations. And, and then you had Canada. And, I, and when, when people were pointing out why is Canada excluded from this alliance, it was, well, you know, it's mostly about nuclear submarines. We don't have any of those. And, uh, you know, th there were there were a lot of excuses for why Canada didn't need to be involved. And then you fast forward to this week when the Trudeau government decides it needs to get tough on China and a story in the Globe and Mail, Canada seeks to join non-nuclear pillar of AUKUS alliance. So this thing that the government said we didn't really need before is now a big part of our China strategy somehow. Well, it's interesting that you uh, you talk about AUKUS. I, I think this is a terribly important organization. And I think the reason why Canada is not at the table uh, and is, you know, that this organization was has been founded, it's been started, uh, uh, you know, Australia, the United Kingdom, the United States are spending billions of dollars to prepare themselves for this partnership to to stand up to China in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, why was China? Why, why was Canada not there? Well, I think the, part of the answer is to be found. You, you might remember, Andrew, that just a few weeks ago. Uh, a Massachusetts National Guardsman released a whole bunch of secret national security papers from the United States government. And these were, you know, made a huge splash in the media and so on. If you read those documents and see what they say about Canada, these were, these were internal intelligence and national security assessments by American government authorities of Canada. And what they said unambiguously is Canada is no longer a trustworthy ally. Uh, you know, if we're going to be sharing intelligence, if we're going to be building military alliances, if we're going to be uh, building economic uh, uh, organizations to respond to China's rise, basically the argument was, uh, let's not bother with Canada because they're not trustworthy. Uh, we don't want to share intelligence with them. We can't be confident that it won't find its way into Chinese hands. We have essentially 
not only uh, turned ourselves into a doormat for China, but we have offended our own allies in doing so. Yeah, it, it's quite shameful. And I, I guess I want to ask you a, a question that perhaps you can't answer, but it's a, an open opportunity if you do want to seize it, Brian, which is how easy is it to repair this? Because I, I think domestically we know that when you have a change in government, things change. When you have a change in government, there can be some drastic uh, deviations uh, domestically. But on foreign policy, it's not like it's not always like that. I mean, uh, across the, you know, across the Atlantic, across the Pacific, uh, Canada is Canada, and whether there's a liberal or a conservative there, uh, the dynamics of the relationship might change. But it's largely the same bureaucrats that are going abroad. It's so. So I'm I'm curious if we have a government led by someone else. I mean, right now it's it's Pierre Polyev who's the, the leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition. How easy is it to flip that reputation? Well, you see, uh, part of what concerns me so much, Andrew, is that it's not just the Liberal Party and Liberal governments that have been tainted by uh, the relationship with China. I think it's the entire political class. You know, th there are people in the Conservative Party who are just as close to China as some of the worst offenders in the Liberal Party. Uh, well, uh, just on that, I mean, it was the Conservatives that uh, really tried to put a lot of hope in free trade with China as being a, a positive economic policy. Absolutely. There, there, so, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing to, uh, to reassure our allies in a simple change of government. What we need is a change of government and, and a new government that says we are going to rid our institutions and our political class uh, of this, uh, 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 this malevolent Chinese influence. We are going to make it very clear that we have rejoined uh, the Western Liberal Democratic Alliance, uh, that we will not be intimidated. We will not be a, a place where information shared by our allies will find its way to China. Uh, and we're going to clean house. Uh, and uh, by the way, I, I, I have to say that, you know, the, the, the Trudeau appointment of a special rapporteur and so on with strong ties to China himself isn't getting that job done. So everything will depend uh, on whether it, in the event of a change of government, that government signals very clearly to our allies that there is going to be a change of orientation, a change of commitments, a rejoining of the, the Western alliance, an end to our what I call our uh, slow motion defection. Uh, and uh, um, uh, we win back the trust and confidence of our allies, including by uh, doing what we promised NATO we would do, which is to spend 2% of our GDP on, uh, on national defense and national security. If we take those steps uh, uh, following a change of government, uh, I, I think it is possible to win back the confidence of our, our friends and allies. But a simple change of government alone won't get the job done. Brian Lee Crowley, Managing Director of the McDonald laurie Institute. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks for coming on today. I'll look forward to the next time, Andrew. Thank you very much. And there will certainly be a next time you can catch up with Brian and many of his colleagues fine work over at the McDonald Laurier Institute website. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the gateway to the world from Canada, which is your passport. Actually, my passport is probably somewhere around. I could have held it up as a, as a prop. And then all the, uh, you know, the spies out there can, you know, just write down the serial numbers that might happen to flash across the screen. But I assure you, no one is pretending to be me. I don't even like being me most of the time. But uh, the thing about the passports is that they are getting an overhaul, which the government has unveiled today. 
And it's going over pretty much as well as you'd expect from an announcement that involves artwork. So uh, this is the, let's start with the cover design. The cover of the new passports is not like the old, uh, you know, coat of arms design here. But this one, uh, they've decided the coat of arms needed a modern silhouette outline of a maple leaf. And what is that aerial font of the word Canada in the top, right? And then on the back, you get this little like, uh, you know, twing. Is it aerial? Sean, Sean is the font expert. He says it's aerial thin. Uh, so not just aerial, aerial thin. So they just like went with the free fonts you get with Microsoft Word to design our passports. And then you have the uh, little red sort of ivy-like. I, that's not how maple leaves grow, but I guess we're, we're just rolling with it then. So that's the outside. Now, I, I mean, I don't love the outside, but I also don't like change in general. I, I don't hate the outside as much as some people. The inside is a different story altogether. Uh, let's just cycle through some of these. I, I don't know if I want to critique everyone individually. Oh, we, there we go. We, you get many of them. So it's like this weird sort of sand art design of like painting by numbers. We've got uh, someone doing a, a sort of a long jump on the grass, which is a, a very... Canadian activity, given that it snows for, you know, 360 days of the year. Uh, what else do we have? Yeah, my, my little monitor that I had, I, I can't actually see this enough. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going back to the old monitor here uh, to analyze this. What else do we have? Um, uh, we have, is that like a just geese? Okay, well, uh, yeah, I'll give them geese. That that seems like a pretty reasonable uh, Canadian uh, Canadian symbol there. Uh, what what else do we have? See, some of the stuff I I can't even quite make out what it is. That's like the the awkward part of this. Uh, but the whole point of this is, is that this is like not. Canadian, it's not aesthetically pleasing, it's not culturally relevant. And if you look at what they removed, it's insane. They removed uh, Terry Fox. They removed Vimy Ridge. The uh, oh, you can take that down, Sean. I, people are like, people are tired of those four images now because they're going to be seeing them for like the next twenty years. Oh, he says it's already down on my screen. It's still up. So uh, I'm just the one that is forced to stare at it until the end of the show, I guess. But uh, uh, the uh, the thing about this is that they've like taken down things that were part of Canada's history. Uh, like, and again, remember all the hand-wringing when someone dared put like a Canadian flag on the Terry Fox statue at the Freedom Convoy and they were saying it was desecrating Terry Fox and now the liberals have just like stripped Terry Fox off the, uh, off the uh, passport altogether. Melissa Lanceman, who is the conservative MP, tweeted out, a bunch of liberal politicians got together to talk about how to fix their abysmal record of passport delivery and unacceptable wait times. And instead, they landed on kick Terry Fox out of the passport and cancel the Battle of Vimy Ridge. Let's replace them with a uh, man. <laughs> this is great. Let's replace them with a man holding a rake and pictures of a boy about to go swimming. So uh, actually, uh, the boy going swimming is about to go into the Atlantic to swim across the ocean because he's not vaccinated, so the liberals aren't letting him get on a plane. That's what the uh, boy swimming represents. Uh, the guy with the rake is uh, representing all of the uh, shredded passports of people that don't want to look at them anymore that are trying to just get rid of them to throw them in the big dumpster when the design changes. So now, I don't know like if they're going to pre-order this stuff, like how long it's going to take if, you know, there's a change in government next year. Uh, it's going to be like the old Ontario license plates where uh, the new guy comes in and just overhauls uh, with a new design that he likes better. And then everyone gets mad about the change because they've uh, just grown familiar with it. But I will say I was buying a present for my nephew. Uh, it was his birthday recently. And I went to Toys R Us 
and I, I don't often frequent uh, toys or toy stores, let alone this one. Uh, but what struck me is that in this like little potted plant right in front of the toy store, there was a mother goose and uh, her go goslings, I think they're called, right? Not like Ryan Gosling, but is it goslings? Yeah, Gos Sean says it's goslings. I'm not a, I, I, this is what happens when you don't commune with nature as one should. Maybe I should spend more time with the Canadian passports. But, uh, and there was like a, a father goose, I presume. I mean, you never want to be, he could have been gender non-binary, but I believe a father goose standing guard, which is a familiar sight because whenever there's a, a mother goose, you got to run because there's a father goose nearby and they will like dive bomb at you. As, as I, I once had to kick one in Detroit because he was flying at me. But nevertheless, the uh, thing about this is that they had like sort of just seeded this area to the geese, like the geese won. And instead, they had like set up all this caution tape and put signs uh, so you couldn't actually go in the store the way you normally would. You had to like walk around. Uh, and this is what happens when a goose decides that they are going to uh, camp out somewhere. Uh, we all just capitulate because the geese actually run the country. And sometimes when you look at, for example, what the liberals passed at their convention, you'd wonder if the, the geese would do a better job uh, than some of the people involved. But, uh, but all of that is to say, I'm actually prepared to say the goose should be on the passport, even if we don't like them. Uh, they are are generally our overlords uh but then yeah like the guy raking and the guy swimming and there's like a weird i so on maybe we put the put them back up there uh page 36 specifically uh 36 and 37 on the passport there's like a polar bear on the right and on the left there's like a it's like a penguin, but it kind of looks like a ladybug. And if you tilt your head ever so, it looks like the hunchback of Notre Dame. So, uh, and then underneath him, there's a, a fish. So it's probably a penguin and not Quasimodo. But uh, the whole point is, I actually wonder if AI could have done a better job at a fraction of the price to the federal government. I Just to like play around, I tried to spit out a couple of AI generated images and they all looked like very weird, like Soviet uh, passport designs, which, you know, maybe these days is more accurate. But anyway, uh, that does it for us for today. We will be back on Friday with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show on True North. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.